Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. We are at the Burbank Convention Center at the California CyberSafe Conference here in Los Angeles. We happen to be so lucky to grab Joan McNabb, who is the chief of the California Office of Privacy Protection. And as you know, she's been on our show many times, and she is one of our very favorites. Joan, thank you for taking a few minutes out of your busy day here to talk to us about what is this CyberSafe conference all about. Uh, Well, it's all about privacy, security, protecting children, protecting our personal information, protecting our families online and uh, in in the real world as well. You know, we are one of only two two states to have an Office of Privacy Protection. And so how did you, how were you able to put this whole thing together? Well, this summit is the fifth privacy summit that the Office of Privacy Protection has has been part of. We have, have done them all with the collaboration of many people, significantly with the Department of Consumer Affairs, and the State and Consumer Services Agency. And with this one, as with the others, we, we rely on uh, advisory groups of business people, educators, law enforcement, uh, privacy activists, consumer advocates who help, help us decide, well, what are the topics that people want to hear about and what are the problems we want to help them come up with answers on? And so they really help us design the whole thing. So how did you choose this topic this year? Well, this year we combined two different types of conferences that we have been having. In the past, we've had conference, we've had two conferences on summits on identity theft. One one was called uh, "Locking Up the Evil Twin." That was our first one. I remember. And you were part of that one, Mari. And that one was the the 
theme there, the, the mission of that summit was to identify the barriers to investigating and prosecuting identity theft and start looking for solutions. So that was the first one. Then we did another identity theft one the following year that built on that one, and it was called Teaming Up Against Identity Theft. And that one was aimed at giving training to all the different people who need to play a role in fighting identity theft, consumers, businesses, law enforcement, educators. Then we did one on cyber safety for children. Then we did one on privacy online. So this year we did our first, we're doing our first two-day summit where we combine the children's online safety component with privacy and identity theft. And how is it that you chose to do children's online safety? Well, it's, it's a big concern, obviously. Not, not only are parents worried about really terrifying things happening to their children online, like being uh, viewing pornography, being uh, stalked by predators, which, as we heard yesterday in one of the workshops, or one of the panels, um, is actually a pretty rare occurrence that children actually fall victim to predators whom they met online. That's actually quite rare. Other things that can happen online are also of a great concern to parents, such as just seeing inappropriate content, uh, perhaps giving away too much information about themselves or their family, uh, being bullied, cyber-bullied by their one. peers. Oh, that's a big you know, one. There yeah. are a lot of things that, that children um, are just not aware of, of the risks when they're giving out information online and not aware of how permanent any picture or clever saying or little nasty remark they might make is. Or how much they might reveal about what they did last night that could haunt them later when they want to get a job. So obviously that's a a really important issue area that has privacy implications. And then we also in this summit are focusing on privacy from the perspective of organizations, businesses, government agencies that collect and use personal information. So we've had several interesting panels, and today we're having workshops that are really designed for businesses and organizations, and then consumers. Let's talk about some of the workshops that you are having. I know I'm thrilled and honored and privileged to be able to present one on this 10 steps to protect yourself from identity theft, but you've got some other really good stuff here. Yeah, your your workshop, um, and you just do such a great job at it because you did this at our first summit, and I'm sure sure it's evolved (laughs) even more now, um, is is designed for consumers. Other consumer-focused workshops that we're having is one on patient privacy rights. That's a big one. That's a big one, and it's becoming more of a concern or should be more of a concern as we move toward electronic medical records, as we become aware of medical identity theft, as we consider putting our health records online in corporately maintained websites that have personal health records, there are a lot of concerns we've got. We're fortunate to have Beth Givens and Linda Ackerman from Privacy Rights Clearinghouse and from Privacy Activism doing that that workshop. Do you get a lot of complaints about medical privacy? It, no, we don't. It's about uh, 3%. You know, about 50% of the complaints we get are about identity theft. Biggie, But, yeah. but you know, I, I recognized when I started learning about medical identity theft that I can think of at least one complaint that we got several years ago about it, and I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. The person was saying that she her insurer was being billed for some uh, diagnostic imaging from a lab that she hadn't had done. 
And she told her insurer she didn't, she didn't do that. She called the lab. The insurer said, oh, you know, it's all right. We paid it. The lab said, well, we got paid. We don't care. And but I it goes on her medical yes. record. And I, did, I said, well, it sounds like maybe it was sort of a billing error or something. And <laughs> I didn't get yeah. it. And yeah. I realized that. Right. Oh, my gosh. There was something going on there. Oh, I know. There's a woman that I continually hear from over the years. I've been trying to help her. And she has a medical record that says she has mental problems. Yeah. And this has kept her from getting a job. Yeah. And And, and every time she tries to get a job, we have to deal with that whole issue again. And it's very difficult uh, to make corrections and things like that in medical records. While we do have the rights under federal and state law to get copies of and access to our medical records, we don't have a a real right to delete. We can dispute, we can request corrections. The general practice among medical health care professionals that I talk to is they really never delete. They might add an explanation that the patient says this was wrong or even we think it's wrong, but they, they are very reluctant ever to delete anything. So depending on how yeah, that is and, later and, and, used. And, and if it's still there, even if you have yeah. another note on there right. that this person is a victim of medical identity theft, it still is there. And that's, that's like where we used to be with, with uh, the credit bureaus, you know, in the, in the past, where you could put a victim statement in your file, but it still had the bad information in it. So, Is there some legislation along. that we could, you know, from your office well, that maybe could I, be I suggested? I don't know yet. You know, we just had a law change that took effect in January that added to the list of the kind of, in, of personal information that triggers right. the requirement to notify of a breach. Right. We added medical and health care. And we've been working on updating our recommended practices in that area to try and give some suggestions of what would be good ways to helpful things to tell people in that case. We aren't finding the answers. Right. right, I'm telling people who are victims of medical identity theft to actually use the Fair Credit Reporting Act laws to say, okay, give me doc you know, documentation of all yeah. of it because I'm a victim of identity theft and to send this section of the law yep. and to, you know, demand that things be, you know, deleted, but we're having but, problems but, but with yeah. that. Yeah, it, we, we really need a law that says that it must be well, erased. You, and you, you can see that as I've been talking about this with, with providers, you can see that there are some concerns. So, for example, and this isn't an identity theft issue really, but just to think about why there's a reluctance to delete. Uh, if you are misdiagnosed, prescribed something, later diagnosed correctly, prescribed something else, they actually want the history of sure. the misdiagnosis and what you were prescribed before. That can affect future health care. Absolutely. So that, that's the mindset they have. But if it's really you, records. that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> but if it's not you, it doesn't. Yes. I know there was a woman who contacted us that could not get life insurance because somebody mismarked saying that she had HIV. You know, this was going to keep her from getting life insurance, but you can just imagine if somebody else has cancer yeah. or some other yeah. problem, and, and, and you then you can't know get, yeah, and you may not know about it, you yeah. can't get insurance. Yes, it's it, right now, uh, as we speak, going on in one of the workshops, there's a workshop that's being put on for healthcare providers and plans on best practices for preventing medical identity theft, and that's being delivered by Pam Dixon from World Privacy right. Forum, who is the one who's done the most research on medical right. identity theft, and Sharon Analik, who's the privacy officer for Blue Shield. Right. So she's looking at it from the plan perspective, and Pam, Pam's talking about it from the consumer 
patient victim perspective. That's got to be very interesting. You know, for those people who are not able to be here today and they're listening to this, they can also go to your website, and you're going to have all the materials from each of these programs, aren't you? Yes. um, It'll be about a month before we post. We might post post them sooner. What we do at the end of our summits is we put together a report that sort of summarizes what happened and then includes all the materials. So maybe we can post the materials before we get that report done. So they can go, why don't you give the website that they can go to? It's www.privacy.ca.gov and right on that page that takes you to, there's a link that says summit reports, although this one won't be there yet. (laughs) Right, but they can at least look at who is presenting yes, exactly. because the agenda is there. Yes, yes. And, and so that's good. So tell us, you know, for, for those people who are listening, not just university people, but whoever is listening to our podcast, where can, what can they find on your website? Well, actually, let me, since you mentioned the university, let me say one more thing about sure, another workshop. absolutely, uh, Another workshop that we're going to be doing in, in about an hour is designed for uh, higher ed. It's a workshop on how to develop a program for uh, educating students in colleges about protecting themselves from identity theft. Interestingly enough, what the big nationwide survey shows is the age group that's most likely to become victims are 18 to 24-year-olds. Yes. Not seniors who worry about it the most, but younger people. My theory about why that is, just my theory, I, I, I see two reasons. One is they're active in the credit acquisition market. They are getting credit card offers all the time at the university. They are buying cars. They are renting apartments. So they're... They're They're getting into the credit. Yeah, their information is whirling around a lot, whereas older people probably aren't. And, of course, they think they're invulnerable. And they don't have good practices. They don't recognize um, what could happen to them because they aren't used to thinking of their credit history. A lot of them are at universities, so they leave things around. They don't lock their doors. People have access to their information. And, of course, we know the universities have had so many security breaches. They have indeed, and it's such a challenge for them. So that workshop is being delivered by Debbie Castanon from my office and uh, Jackie Reynolds from UCLA. Very good. Yeah. So the university students also need to learn about privacy because, they you know, indeed. there's all sorts of problems they have on Facebook and Match.com. Yeah. And, you know, I hear all sorts of cyberbullying mm-hmm. from people. So even, even at the university level. Even at the university level. Yeah. So if they go to your website at privacy.ca.gov, they can find out a lot about what's, you know, get the information yeah. from you. And also, can they write and ask a question yeah. or give yeah. a call? Yes, absolutely. You'll see on, on our website our, our toll-free number, which is 8 Six six seven eight five nine six six three. There's also a say a that again slower. Eight six six seven eight five nine six six three. That's toll free in California. There's also a, a, a link to uh, an email form, which has right on it our privacy policy, which we're telling you don't write too many personal things <laughs> in this email. Right. <laughs> email right. is not a secure right. uh, channel. So they, they can do that. We have information for consumers, a lot of our consumer information sheets, a lot of links to other really great privacy resources, including Mari's site, uh, Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, Epic, a bunch of others. We also have information for businesses and organizations. We have information. How to deal with security breaches. How to deal with security breaches, how to protect social security numbers. Um, We have a special little business privacy handbook that's designed for small businesses. And all this is downloadable right there. All right there. Yep. So terrific stuff. 
Well, thank you for taking time to talk with us again today. Well, thanks for and being here, Mari. this is a super, super program, and we will do it next year. Okay, great. Thank you. Now we're moving right along, and here we are at WebWise Kids. Wisdom begins with you. Well, you know, here we are at the University of California, Irvine, worried about students who are here and also kids in the community. And we are speaking right now with Monique Nelson, Executive Vice President. So, Monique, tell us, what is WebWise Kids? Well, we have a, a simple and difficult mission at the same time, and our mission is to equip kids to be their first line of defense online. It's a scary place to be nowadays, isn't it? Well, it's a scary place and a good place. I mean, I don't think there's too many of us that really aren't online and do a lot of things online. Children are even more so than even the adults. So it's a, it's fun, but it's also there's dangers. So what do you all do here? Well, we you do. worry about pir- piracy and cyber stalking and viruses. So what do you do with WebWise Kids? We use educational computer games to teach kids. So rather than a lecture format or curriculum in the schools, we use gaming to teach them. And they're based on, all based on true stories. And they're experience, what we call experiential learning. So that the kids, rather than giving them, like I said, a lecture, they play the game and they learn exactly what needs to be learned. For instance, in our game Missing, it's a true story of a boy that was lured from Canada to Southern California. And so the kids play the, the role of a detective and they have to save the boy before he goes over another border never to be seen again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Did he get saved? Yes, he did. Oh, well, that's a good happy ending. Yes, he did. It's a happy ending. <laughs> but in the meantime, they learn how a predator grooms a child, which is what Katie actually happened to Katie. And we're going to talk to Katie in just yes. a minute. She's right here. Yeah. Yes. And tell me, so do you go into the schools, into the public schools? How do you work? Yes, we do. We go into the public schools. And what we do is we do a train-the-trainer program. So we uh, train teachers, law enforcement on our games and the issue. Because despite the fact that this is a pretty common, I say, known issue of Internet safety, there's still a lot that people don't know. And so we train them on the issue, and then we train them on how to use the games with the kids. A lot of the parents are not as computer savvy as their kids. So you might be training the kids. What about the parents? How do they get some help? Well, we do the same. We do that with parents as well. We have a a parent program called Wired with Wisdom. However, just because of what you said, the parents aren't as knowledgeable. Sometimes they don't even have a clue as to what their kids are doing. We feel like the best way is really to educate the kids so that they'll be their first line, of, their own first line of defense. And we don't have to exactly trust the parents, I guess you might say, to be able to do that for them. Just right. for the reason they don't, they don't always know. Why don't you give your website and then we're going to talk to Katie. Our website is webwisekids.org. We have Katie with us. Katie, I hear you're an ambassador for WebWise Kids. Is that right? Yes, I'm the ambassador to youth. And so you are Katie Canton, ambassador to youth. What does that mean? Well, I usually um, travel around. I talk to kids. I talk to parents, politicians, everyone, teachers. But mostly kids, I tell them my story of what happened to me. When I was 15, I met a predator online, and I had a relationship with him. I believed he was my boyfriend, that he loved me, he was going to marry me. You know, we spent this whole several-month period of being in that world, believing him, and um, eventually found out that he was an internet predator and he was having a relationship with a 13-year-old 
on the other side of the country at the same time. How old was he? Do you know? He was 22. How did you start this relationship? Well, we just met in a chat room. Um, this was, what, six years ago. There wasn't a lot of media. There wasn't any attention on Internet predators. I'd never heard the word or the phrase Internet predator. I had no idea there was anything I needed to worry about. I was a typical teenager. I was having fun. I was bored. I think it was the end of winter break or something. I had nothing to do. Just talking to people online, and I met John in a chat room, and we talked, and then he asked if we could speak on the phone. And after a few minutes of hesitating, I kind of decided that, you know, he lived across the country. If he turned out to be weird, I could just hang up. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I didn't realize that I was already being lured in, into this and that John was already manipulating me. And from that first conversation on, you know, he knew what he was doing from the start. How did he do it? He was just very interested in me. And being 15 years old, being in that awkward age where you're still trying to figure out where you fit in, who you are, you know, what, you, what you're about, to have someone, especially an older man, pay attention to you because it's that age where you're starting to be interested in boys you want boys to look at you but you're still uncomfortable in your own skin to have someone give all their undivided attention to you for hours at a time want to know everything about you tell you constantly how wonderful you, you are, are how wonderful you are oh, how God. pretty you are how much they they want you how much they love you it's intoxicating it really yes. is especially at that age when you're so vulnerable and you're so hungry for that attention and john just filled that need he filled that void for me and, you know, I didn't have a bad relationship with my parents. I didn't have a hard time at school with, you know, I had friends and stuff. But he was something that they couldn't compete with because he was 24-hour affection and concentration that no one else would give me. Did he send you a picture and ask you for your pictures? Yes, that was, that was pretty standard for okay. conversations back then. I mean, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary if you met someone online. Did he to, tell you the truth about how old he was? He did. And I told him how old I was. And... We were both aware of each other's age, and both didn't matter. And you know, at least I, he didn't lie about that, right? No, he didn't. He didn't lie about a whole lot of personal information. He did lie about his intentions, and like I said, he was having this ongoing, you know, physical relationship with a 13-year-old um, that West he had Virginia. met online. Yes, and this was all during the time he's telling me I'm the one. He's going to marry me. He loves me. Sending me gifts. Send, sending me love letters. Sending me pictures. Sending me flowers. He's sending her the same flowers, the same gifts, the same letters, word for word. And it was just, you know, really sad. Katie, how did you find out about this other girl and that he was really a predator rather than really just a lovesick guy? Well, this is where Webwise kids come in. You know, my parents were aware of John because I talked about him, and they kind of saw him as a pen pal. You know, this right. was, again, six years ago. There wasn't any Dateline NBC. There was no To Catch a Predator. It wasn't, right. it wasn't in everyone's living room. Right. It wasn't on anyone's radar. I think because I went through a tough period the year before, and our trust got broken down a lot with my parents. We were rebuilding trust at this point, rebuilding communication, and they were afraid to overreact right. for something small because they didn't right. want to alienate me. And they figured, well, he's across the country. You know, this is harmless. Right. What harm She's can happy. be done. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, when I said John's coming out to visit, that really set off alarm bells, especially for my father, who was saying this 20-something-year-old is not going to fly across the country to see a 15-year-old right. for cookies, you know? <laughs> That's what he said, for milk and cookies. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, he knew right away, but at the same time, he also knew I was 15 years old, and I was convinced that I was in love with this man and that he was in love with me, and we were in this big, dramatic, epic love story, and if he'd said, Katie, you can't see him, that probably would have 
made more incentive to see him. And, right, you or know, you run away run, or something. Exactly. Yeah, so he was worried. So he was stuck. Now, what do I do? He didn't even know what word to put on this fear that he had. And he um, worked for the city of San Francisco at the time, had met a police officer from the ICAC unit, the Internet Crimes Against Children Division, uh, in passing. That unit had just started up. I mean, this is all really fate really and yeah. he he pulled out her card called her up said look i don't know if i have a problem but I, you know i think yes. i do yeah and she said you and your wife need to be in my office tonight wow. and they went down to the police station and it was really scary for them because they hadn't told her a whole lot they told her my my age that i was talking to this guy he was coming out to visit she sat down and explained to them things that have been happening over the last couple months in their house you know behavior that I've been doing, you know, he talking on the phone, spending less time with my friends, you know, the focus being on him, him sending me gifts, and they were just completely shocked. How do you know these things? You know, we didn't tell you. How do you know? That's what's... the MO, right? Yeah, of, and she said, this, the is, predator. this is what internet predators do. This is classic. And so now they're really afraid because they're sure I'm talking to a predator. I don't know what a predator is. I don't want to listen to them because they're my parents. Yes. I'm in love with this guy and they're trying to, you know, how are they going to say this guy's a creep? So they said, well, what do we do? How do we explain this to her? How do we get through to her that she's in danger? Right, because you weren't going to listen. Of course. No, I was 15. Right. So um, this police officer gave him the missing game and said, take this home and play it with her. And I, to be honest, I think my dad looked at her like she was insane. Because he's like, I have a real problem here. My daughter is in serious trouble, and you're giving me a video game. She said, no, take it home, play it, you know. Just talk to your daughter. So they took it home and... Did you want to play it? No, I didn't. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> they came into my bedroom that night, or maybe it was a night after that or something. They came into my bedroom and said, Katie, we're going to play a computer game as a family for two hours right now. I was probably, not happy. Yeah, like, get out of my room, right? Really, that's, that was my reaction. I said, are you serious? I didn't even like video games. I was never <laughs> a computer game. That was my brother. He did that. I was more into just chatting, and I did not want to play a game. I did not want to play a game with my family. Right. I didn't want to do it right then. Right. But you wanted to get on and talk to your boyfriend. Exactly. Actually, <laughs> I think I was getting ready to call him, probably. <laughs> so they pull me kicking and screaming and sit me down in front of the family computer. We play this game, and honestly, 10 minutes in, I wouldn't have walked away if they said I could. It's that good of a game. I didn't even like video games. I didn't want to play. What I was, was forced to. Missing, missing is the game. Okay. Um, it's just an amazing game. It's about this boy who goes missing. He meets he meets a man on the internet, becomes friends with him. This guy is really cool. He's out in California. The boy's in Canada, and you know his family life isn't going too well. He's not doing too well at school. He's got bullies and. But this man, Phantasma, is really cool. He helps him with his website. He becomes friends with him. He gains his trust. Eventually says, hey, I'll give you a job out in California. You want to come work for me in my magazine? So Zach, yeah. this boy, luring him in, huh? goes across the border, goes all the way to California and disappears. And now you, as the kid who plays the game, have to find Zach. You have to go through his computer files, go on his website, play games and solve puzzles, collect clues, and find him. So it's a really interesting, really fun game. It's challenging, but... At the same time, you're seeing all these so, yeah, things exactly. that are probably what you so were doing, right? I, I'm sitting there, 15 years old, playing this game with my family, having fun. And in the back of my mind, I keep noticing these little red flags going up, you know, 
the Same Phantasma, thing happened to me, right? Phantasma's doing these things and saying phrases word for word that John were saying to me, you know, sending him gifts, he's telling him these things, he's saying these things, you know. And I cannot deny it. And I'm trying to because this is more than I'm equipped to deal with. You know, if John is a predator, then he's been lying to me, manipulating me, and using me for the last three months of my life. Wow. It's a painful prospect to face. And, you know, at 15, you don't know how to deal with that, how you could be that betrayed and in that much trouble. And it was overwhelming, and I tried to kind of ignore it. And, yeah, hide it away, yeah. But as soon as we finished playing the game, I tried to run to my room and close the door, but my parents said, no, no. They sat me down. They said, look, we love you. We care about you. We're not trying to ruin your life. We just we care about you too much to let you do this. We cannot allow you to meet this man. We do not think it's safe. Yeah. And I honestly couldn't argue. So I think after that, I turned over all the emails and stuff that he sent me to the police. And I didn't want to pursue anything, you know, against him or whatever. I just didn't want to talk to him anymore. But I was contacted by that police officer a few days later who said, we're looking for him. Do you know where he is? He's wanted by the FBI. They wow. had an open investigation against him because for doing of this, it to other people for this 13-year-old in West Virginia. This entire time, you know, this poor girl was actually close enough for physical contact. He'd been taking her out of the state to have sex with her, mm -hmm. sending her the same gifts, you know, the same letters. And uh, so they finally caught him. There was a scary period of about a week. They didn't know where he was, and he had a plane ticket to San Francisco. And I know I realized then I had Did told you just stop all contact with him I, after that with your parents. Yeah, after I met with the police officer the next day, and it was that was awkward because I went in, and I'm starting to feel a little silly here. I don't know for sure that John's a predator, but I know I need to break things off with him. And she sits me down and she says, "He's talking to you about this, right?" He's saying this to you. And I was embarrassed when he said these things to me. I was more embarrassed when someone I didn't know was telling me. That he's telling you that, yeah. right? So I ended up sending him an email saying we can't talk anymore. And he kind of guessed something was going on. He was already freaking out at me a little bit, leaving me voicemails and saying, you need like, to call me back. Don't talk to the police or something? No, he was, he was very, really, he called me a lot. He left me, I had a pager with a voicemail service, and he left me a lot of messages normally throughout the day. But when... I played the game that night with my parents. I told him I couldn't talk that night because I just wanted to go to bed and didn't want to talk to him. And he left me a bunch of messages like, if you're going to break up with me, you should at least call me and do it over the phone, and, which I didn't do because I knew he would manipulate me back into the relationship. Right. But all the next day, he did everything he could think of to try to get me to call him. He left me all these messages while I was at school saying, well, since I didn't hear from you this morning, I'm guessing you are breaking up with me. That's messed up. You should really, you should call me and do it in per person. And then he says, well... I can refund my plane ticket if I do it by 3 o'clock this afternoon, so you need to call me by 3 o'clock this afternoon so I can refund my plane ticket. <sighs> Fine. You know, you're not talking to me. I'm deleting your number. You'll never hear from me ever again. And an hour later, another one from <laughs> yeah. him. And it was like, I thought you deleted my number, but... Um, I just, so did he ever get arrested for this 13-year-old? He, he did. did. So this was... About a week later, you know, I had that scary period where I didn't know where he was. I knew he knew everything about me, where to find me, where I was. and Your house address, Yeah, everything. and these things didn't seem that big a deal when I was talking to him. But when I reflected back, I was all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, this guy knows not only where I live, but where I go to school, where I hang out, where I go after school, how I get to and from school, all these little things, everything he needs to know. And that was, like, a really big wake-up call. Um, but they did catch him. They arrested him, and I was eventually actually subpoenaed 
and flew to West Virginia and testified against him. You did. So you you got to meet him in I person. Saw him, I, I saw mean, him well, in court. I didn't really meet him, but, but I did see him. But you saw him. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in the flesh, which you right. hadn't done before. No, I had not. And that must have been pretty terrifying. You know, it was interesting. It was several months later, and I thought I'd gotten over it, but it, it did bring up back a lot of you know pain and memories. But it was therapeutic, really, because once the trial was over, I put it all behind me and really accept the fact like that it wasn't my fault, yeah, you know. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. And uh, he was convicted, is now serving 20 years in prison. Was the girl there that he had She had was, but I didn't meet her because we were both testifying and I had to fly right, out. Right, um, So she testified against him as well. Right, and I think they had a harder time getting her to testify because she was still in love with him. Yeah. She was still convinced that he was going to marry her. Oh, she didn't know about me, oh. and... She, this poor girl, like they, they had like tape recorded form conversations with her and stuff. Like, they, they built a case against him, and I don't know why he didn't flee, honestly. But, you know, this is better for us anyway. Yes. So it was, it was an interesting experience going to court at 16 and seeing this man that had done all these things and um, seeing him in person. And but they prepared me really well. The uh, prosecuting attorney was great and she was really helpful and you know, took me through the day before and I was pretty confident about what I had to do and um, looked at him as little as possible. Apparently he had his head in his hands for most of my testimony. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, that's, that's a big challenge to go through when you're just a teenager. Yeah, and it was a big thing and it was... It was. It did change stressful. a lot of how I lived the rest of my life, how I viewed men in general. But uh, so how, how, how did it, it change you? Well, it really, you know, I think in the long run, it gave me so much more confidence in myself. I was really more aware, and still am, about what I deserve and what I don't put up with in a relationship. I'm really. A, don't stand for any clinginess. I had a boyfriend for like a week, and he called me every day, and I was just like, no, this is this is not going to happen. It, it was just... Um, what I else really... did it do about your, uh, how you uh, act online? You know, the, the, the def- actions you take online right. now. Right. It, it was a huge wake-up call, and it, it really woke me up to the fact that, you know, you really don't know who's there, and it doesn't matter what you think of them, or how nice, or cool, or how much they seem to know, or not know, or, you know, it's so deceptive. I talk about this all the time to kids, to parents, to anyone. It's deceptive. You're in a safe spot. You are physically in your room, your living room, somewhere you don't have strangers coming in, but you do have strangers coming. You just don't realize it because over the net, it's coming into the cyberspace. They're yeah. still coming into your bedroom. And yes. I talk, I say to parents, you know, you don't think that your 13 year old is sitting in her bedroom with a 40 year old man, but she might be. Yes. And she could be talking about things you do not want her to talk about. Right. And she may not want to talk about it, but he'll get her that way. I mean, you know, not all predators are 40-year-old men, but I'm just but, saying. Yeah, you know, still, if they're predators, they're predators. Right. And I say to kids, you know, how many of you are going to walk up to some creepy guy on the sidewalk and say, hey, do you want to know all about me? Here's my favorite this and that. And, and yeah. I'm like, that's what you're doing when you're talking to people you don't know. Right. And it's so deceptive because you think you can turn off the computer and walk away, but it's not that simple. It's and do you go in chat rooms now? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm i 21 now, and I've really kind of moved away from that life. Um, I do do, you know, like email and like Facebook, that kind of stuff, but I'm really not... 
Are you more protective of your privacy now? Very much so. I don't put all my information on there. I don't have friends that aren't my friends. And, um, you know, after this whole incident with John, you know, I still was chatting online, but I didn't trust anyone I met. If I did talk to someone I didn't know, I didn't give them any information. I didn't even tell them what city I lived in. Smart. And I didn't trust a word they said. Whenever boys said to me after that, oh, you're so pretty or, you know, you're really cool, I just said I, I acted like I thought they were lying because I did right. I didn't believe them right and a it, little bit of paranoia is actually good for you <laughs> is that right it can be I mean that was when I was you know 16 17 and um, eventually I just have to tell you I've talked that. to people who are 40 years old right. women who've been you know lured in in the same kind oh, it, of way so it can happen to anybody it can happen to anyone it doesn't matter how smart you are how much you know these guys I tell kids this all the time they're professionals just think of it as this is their job they know every trick in the book, and as we learn, they're learning. I mean, this is what they do, yes. and they know, and that's what's so dangerous about these people is they, they evolve with us, and so we constantly have to be aware, and you know, kids and teens constantly have to be on their toes and constantly take a proactive approach to protecting themselves because their parents aren't there with them. And the, the sad thing is, is you probably knew more about how to deal with the internet than your parents. Oh yeah. I mean, my dad was pretty web savvy, but my mom didn't even know how to turn the computer on at that point. I mean, she's right. much better now, but <laughs> right. this was again, six years ago. And, um, yeah, kids nowadays, I, I work with a youth group. Um, that's one of my jobs. And every Sunday, you know, I, I see these kids and they all have cell phones. They all can operate any gadget they want. I mean, kids are so web savvy. They're so plugged in. And a lot of parents are just intimidated and they don't want to go near the web. And it's, it's, it's hard because it's like, on the one hand, there's not much they can do because kids are going to do what kids are going to do. They can get right. to the internet anywhere, really. Right. Cell phones, friend's house, school, library. I mean, even if you take the computer away from them, they can get to it. You need to educate them because they're going to be on alone at some point. But parents also do have a role to play, and some parents are kind of like, well, I don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to deal with it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's really the wrong approach. I always use the analogy of a car. You wouldn't toss your teenager the car keys, say, good luck, don't hit anything. You know, <laughs> they go through driver's education. They learn. They practice with you in the car. You know, you're in the front seat. They have a whole series of steps they take until they actually get their license. And even when they get their license, they still can't just take off whenever they want. They earn their privileges through learning how to operate the vehicle safely. The Internet's the same thing. It's a privilege, and it should be viewed that way. The problem is, you know, though, that when parents give you the keys to the car, they already know how to drive. Right. They've been driving for 20 years. See, that's 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 the challenge with the, the... I definitely, and I'm very sympathetic to that. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. Your kid knows it better than you, and it's difficult to try to be there. But my dad. So what do you tell kids? Well, it's more the parents because the kids kids can, I mean, the kids are just going to do what they're going to do. And my, what I tell the kids is be aware you need to protect yourself. You're the first line of defense, and it's you they're going after. It's you that needs to make these wise decisions, and it's you that needs to prepare yourself. To the parents, I say you need to support your kids. Open communication is the underlying theme. Even if you don't even know how to turn on the computer, sit down with your kid and say, teach me. That's, you know, a lot of parents do that. They sit down and they say, tell me, how do I do this? And WebWise Kids' parent program, Wired with Wisdom, is excellent because it's really easy to use. You can lo- It's online. You can log on. 
they're 20 minute segments so it doesn't take very long you can do 24 hours a day you find 20 minutes here 20 minutes there and you it tells you all the things you need to know and you can do it it's interactive you can do games you can do watch videos of like parents you can watch videos of kids you can hear real stories of people who what they've gone through how they dealt with these situations kids saying why they like to do these engage in risky behaviors and it's just it's such a great program and it's so accessible and I recommend that to all my parents that ask me what should I do to learn to educate right. myself but bottom line communication yeah. if your teen feels that he or she can come to you if there's a problem that you're not gonna freak out and take the internet away from them that you're gonna support them and keep them safe when they have something they can't deal with that's the most important thing even if you don't know anything about the computer if your kid feels that they can come to you if there's a problem if they can say mom this man sent me a scary picture right you know and kids don't want to talk about that yeah and it's that They're embarrassed or right and they should be able to talk to their parents they you know right. it's just it's important it's a two-way street and right. i think we all need to work on just keeping everybody safe online right so what do you think, you know, you're 21 now, mm -hmm. so what is your career plans? Do you think that that has been influenced by you being stalked by a predator? Well, I don't know. I still don't know exactly what I want to do. I know I do a lot of work with WebWise Kids because I'm so grateful to them. If it weren't for missing, I, I might be missing. Right. I really don't know what would have happened. I doubt my parents would have gotten through to me. And I recognize this program, and what WebWise Kids does is so unique because their programs really speak to kids on their level. They are... They're not lecturing. They don't talk down. They're fun. They're interactive. They're educational. They work. And, you know, I'm a living proof of that. Yes. And so I've, I'm so grateful to WebWise Kids. I love what they do. I believe in what they do. And it just gives me the energy to come out and really continue to work with them. And I well, see myself working with them for a while. you are a great ambassador for them. My God, you're terrific. <laughs> now, what are these things? I see these little CDs. Are these? Oh, those are the promos of the games. Oh, okay. And, and actually, my story's on there. Oh. And I think there's a version for teens and a version for parents. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? Why don't you give the website? It's webwisekids.org. Thank you so much, thank you. Katie. And thank God that you're still here. And thank you for what you're doing for other kids and parents. Thank you. Bye. Here now, we're moving on to Children's Educational Network. And we are talking now with... Matthew Heinzel, who is Vice President of Business Development for Children's Educational Network. Tell us, what is this booth all about? What do you guys do? Children's Educational Network um, is dedicated to building the world's largest online network for kids based on safety and education. Um, and we do that through two different products. Uh, the first product is our core technology, which is a browser technology just like Microsoft Explorer or Firefox, Mozilla, any of those browsers that are out, we use that technology to create themed browsers for kids where they can only serve pre-approved, pre-screened websites that meet a content policy, so they can't stumble across any appropriate material. Um, and then parents can add and remove from that list as they deem appropriate. Um, from that point, we move on to our next product, which is Club Tukey. And Club Tukey is our in-house brand. It's the acronym for the Ultimate Kids Internet. And what that is, is that's actually a website. It's a web portal, a membership website where kids go in, play educational games. They earn virtual money, which is called Tukey Moolah. It gets it put into their bank account. And then they manage their bank account, so they learn the basics of banking. And then they go into the Tukey auction, and they bid on real products and services. So pizza parties for their classroom. Uh, Xboxes, skateboards, DVDs, apparel, all that good stuff. Free movie rentals. Mm. 
Sounds great. So how do kids find out about this? They can actually go to clubtuki.com. Um, all of our browsers are unique to whoever the uh, brand or affinity group is. For this, this one here, we partnered with DreamWorks to create a Shrek version of our software. So that one they can get at shrekbrowser.com. So, so you're partnering with DreamWorks for this? Correct. Oh, yeah, our I see this partner, Shrek thing. I love Shrek. Yes, this is our newest partner here, McGruff, for the National Crime Prevention Council. If you go to McGruffBrowser.com, you can, you can download that for free. And all of our themes, all of our brands that we work with, um, they're all free. So each browser can be, be obtained for free. Oh, super. And so how do you make your money then if it's for free? It's your advertisers that are on there? Or how, how does that work? Um, advertisement is a part of the revenue model. The other part is the Club Tukey membership. Kids can go in, they can play games, they can earn virtual money. They have access to Tukey TV, which is our version of YouTube, which has child-appropriate content on it. Um, and then once they become a paid member, they can actually go in and bid on the products. They also get safe email, where they can only exchange email with parent-approved buddies, so it's a buddy list email system. So how do, you, how do you get the parent approval? How do you know it's parent approval? Well, once they become a registered user, obviously they enter in the credit card information. Oh, their so, moms, yeah. Yeah. So Hopefully they just didn't go into mom's purse and, and take it out. it out of the wallet or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, they definitely have to have mom's approval, mom and dad, mm -hmm. in order to... Uh, now, what age group is this? We target 4 to 14, but oh. depending on the theme... Obviously, it targets a different age and gender. So what we do is with specific themes, whatever the, like, for instance, with Miss America, the MissAmericaKids.com is the Miss America browser. Um, mm. That obviously targets the girls. So all the content and all the pre-approved websites will correspond with the target demographic. Mm. So whatever that is, we aggregate the corresponding content to meet those kids. So how would, how would they... I guess I'm questioning, like, how, how would a kid find out about this Miss America web browser? How well, would they know about it? How would they learn about it? From many different areas. Um, if they obtain a physical CD at an event somewhere. Oh, um, okay. Not only do we promote and market all of our products, but also the brands that we work with do as well. Okay, so, so DreamWorks might give this out at a... DreamWorks has been promoting that from Shrek.com. Okay. So if you go to Shrek.com, you'll see the Shrek browser on there as well. I see. And then they click on that, and then they can start using that. They can make that their browser. Yep. Right. And then with this specific one, with uh, the Shrek one, we're actually, it's our first product we're taking retail. Everything else has been online. So um, that's going to be able to be purchased on Amazon and uh, eventually, you know, the Walmarts and Targets and Costcos of the world. Right. So if you were talking to parents now, how would, what would you say to them why they should try and you know, get their kids to use that instead of Explorer, for example? Well, the whole thing, what our, our whole mission is um, through all of our products and services is that when we partner with DreamWorks, we're grabbing a brand that kids already know and love. And we're providing our technology to them through that platform. So, for instance, Shrek, what kid isn't going to want to use Shrek? When the 3D animated Shrek comes out, it's in Mike Myers' voice, talks to the kids, throws out trivia. Uh, fun. It's fun. It's interactive. It's not, it's, it's not just a no-name product that came out of nowhere that their parents made them use. Right. So that's kind of the angle. 
So how does it work? Let's say that there's, you know, young kids in the house, and then there's parents, and everybody's using the computer. Right. So how, how, do, you cha- how do you change the browsers? I mean, maybe parents don't want to be using the, maybe they want to use Ask Jeeves or whatever, and they don't want to use the, <laughs> the browser for Shrek at the time. Right. H- how does that work? So if, you don't, if the kid doesn't have his own computer. Well, once the browser's installed, it's just another browser. Oh, you computer. just click on it so, and then on the desktop or what? Yeah, it puts an icon on the desktop, um, which actually in, we're using Shrek as an example, so I'll just keep going with that. Um, Shrek's head will be at the icon. So the kids uh, know to go there for their Internet connection and their point of touch to the Internet. Also, in the parental control panel, uh-huh. they can put what's called desktop lockdown. So they can lock down all other programs so they can't minimize that and access other uh, browsers. Okay, so that's that's one way to keep your kids safe on online. How about are there chat rooms through, for example, the, this browser? I mean, is it, can they get to chat nope. rooms? No chat rooms. Good. Nope. We, uh. We're a little bit different. Um, we have built-in filters, language filters, uh, content filters, but we're not a filter. Um, some people label us that way because of that, but because we work from a whitelist, where we're basically saying. Kids, you can enter this room, you can play with everything in here, you just can't walk out. So instead of trying to filter the world, we're putting them basically in a virtual playpen to say, hey, right. here's what we provide, here's what we do. Right. And it's all the be- the web's best content for kids anyway. Yeah. There's more stuff in there than they can get through. What about if they have to do homework and they want to learn about like the history of California? Right. Can they use that browser to do that? Well, let's say that they come home from school with a homework project and their teacher assigned them to go to a certain website and it's not on our include list because we didn't know about it um, the parents can actually go in through their uh, login and add the site and with the click of a button it can be uploaded and the kids can have access to it the other cool feature about our technology is that once a parent adds a website we get notified and then our staff will review it if it meets our content policy we can upload it to our entire system on the fly so with oh. a click of a button everybody so it automatically gets it. reported back to you right Interesting. Now, is there any tracking of the children uh, through your website? I mean, the fact that you know that they've added another website, is there any kind of privacy issue of you tracking what they're doing? Is that collected? No. I mean, everything's within COPPA compliance. So everything we do meets those standards. Obviously, um, once they become a registered user and their parents become registered users, we have a database of their information, but obviously it's all Do you share that information? No. Okay. It's all secure. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you so much. I don't have little kids. I have big kids, but, <laughs> you know, maybe when I have grandkids so I, I can do this. So thank you so thank much. You. Yeah, thank Terrific. you. And give your website again. We have many websites. but okay. um, If a parent, like, hears this, for example, and they want to find out more, is there a website that they can go to? to Tuki.com. T-U-K-I.com. Okay. TheUltimateKidsInternet.com. All right. Thanks so much. That thank was you. fun. Here we are at one of the booths, SSH Communication Security. We're going to be speaking with Byron Rashid, who is from Aliso Viejo. Tell us, why are you here at this conference? Well, we're here to show people that we we're here for protecting data in transit, which is a very, very big thing today because of all the security breaches, all the data that has been stolen. Uh, you read about it in the paper all the time. 
it, it's, a, it's a big concern. It's uh, now also there's a lot of federal mandates to protect that data as it, as it travels through uh, wherever it goes throughout the enterprise, and uh, that's what we do. Yeah, here we are at a consumer conference, and people are worried about identity theft. They're worried about their privacy being invaded. So exactly what happens as a consumer when they make a purchase online and they see a little lock at the bottom, what is that telling them, and what do you do? Well, what that does is it's actually called SSL, or Secure Socket Layer Protection, and it's an encrypt, it encrypts the data that's flowing back and forth from the desktop to the server, uh, whatever uh, processing their transaction, and that means that there is about um, it's 128-bit encryption that goes through. So, if anybody was to take that data and to do with it what they want, it would just be you know, garbled. Uh, they really couldn't uh, do anything with it much. Right. So, what should people be looking for, and what should the ordinary consumer know about what you do? Uh, what we do is we we basically work on the enterprise. So. After the sale, when a consumer goes online and let's say the company has to send batches of information to their corporate office or banks, uh, that's usually where our software comes in. Uh, being, an, uh, being a, pr a protocol, uh, SSH has been around 13 years and uh, it's a very, very safe protocol and a very uh, time-tested uh, technology. So really what it is is these enterprises are using it to protect the backbone end of it uh, and to do transactions and internal file transfers which are susceptible to theft, uh, could be, uh, and they're there just to you know, protect your data and your confidentiality. So how does a consumer know? Let's say that little lock doesn't appear and they're going to do an online transaction that they think is secure. What should they be looking for to make sure that they're protected? Well, definitely they should be looking for the little lock. And if the little lock isn't there, then I would, uh, you know, avoid the transaction immediately. What about if something is, it like, isn't it HTTPS or? Right. If there's an HTTPS, that's usually a secure protocol, and that also can work. Uh, usually with HTTPS, there will also be an SSL lock on there, too. Okay. Yeah, I, one time I saw that there was no lock, but I saw that the, the address was right, so I, I felt it was a little bit safer. Was I okay? Uh, yes, you were. That usually uses a digital certificate a lot of times to prove uh, the, the trust factor involved in sending data back and forth. So where can people go to learn more about your company? They can go to www.ssh.com and uh, read about us and uh, read about the good things that we do to help protect uh, data. Yeah, I see right here you have a, a folder or brochure that explains how the secure file transfers and the data in transit, how that's protected, so they can find out about that on your website too? Absolutely, and they'll see a list of our customers on there, and uh, they can be assured that uh, if the customers are on there that they deal with, uh, that their data and their confidentiality is fully protected with our technology. Well, thank you, Byron. We appreciate your time. You're welcome. My pleasure. Okay. Stay private. Good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm the host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Wednesday night from 5 to 6 p.m., but I'm also so pleased to be able to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And today we are so thrilled to be speaking with investigator Jeff Brown, with the Orange County Sheriff's Department's Sex Crime Unit. 
He has been with the Orange County Sheriff Department for 21 years, and he's worked in the sex crimes unit the last eight years. He also happens to be an instructor teaching other officers how to respond to and protect and resolve sex crimes. So thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. You're welcome, Mary. What exactly does the sex crime unit do, and what types of cases do you have in Orange County? Well, the Sheriff's Department Sex Crimes Unit is really two combined units. We have a sex crimes and a domestic violence unit. We actually call ourselves a family protection unit. Within the unit, we have two investigators dedicated to keeping track of all the registered sex offenders in the sheriff's jurisdiction. And we have a single investigator that handles elder abuse cases such as physical abuse or sexual abuse. We currently have five investigators that handle domestic violence cases. And they handle everything from simple non-injury assault like your felony assaults with weapons or like almost near murder type cases and everything in between that. We also have five investigators that handle all adult and child sex crimes, everything from simple indecent exposure to violent forced sexual assault or child molest. In addition to the sworn staff, we have two full-time reserve investigators that take overflow cases from both sex and domestic violence, as well as our professional support staff and clerical. Well, tell me, we're going to talk with you again, but for today's segment, we want to know, what do you recommend that we can do to keep our young people safe from sex predators in the real world, offline? Well, the difference in real world stuff versus online stuff as a parent myself, I would tell you to be wary of any adult that takes an unnatural interest in your children. I often joke when talking to parents to not let your coach or your teacher or your dentist take your children out to dinner, to the movies, or camping. And all of those are real examples that have led to cases of inappropriate activity with minors. I've had many cases where young girls and boys have developed inappropriate and or sexual relationships with teachers, coaches, neighbors, or other people, and these kids have all done their communicating right under their parents' noses. The adults are in a position of trust by design, and oftentimes the perpetrator will place themselves in a position that allows them constant contact with potential victims. Many times the position automatically gives them a position of trust with the parents, such as a position in a church or a coach or involved in a school or other outside activities. Well, that's pretty scary because, you know, we want to be able to trust our kids in these type of situations. But we're going to have you back next week to talk about online predators. So thank you so much for joining us, Jeff, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you very much. 